in many ways, the security team really had only one job, and that job was to protect users' data. So this sounds pretty simple. Uh, of course, we all know it's not. And, and the team at the same time grew uh, rapidly. We grew to about a thousand engineers as a team, some of the best of the best. That is one of the things I enjoy mostly in Google is, is working with some really, really brilliant uh, engineers and very smart people. It was was fascinating. But our job was really to protect Google and Google's infrastructure. And you can think of it like, like a big chess game. From Cobalt headquarters in San Francisco, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my friend and colleague, Gerhard Eschelbeck. Gerhard is the former VP of Security Engineering at Google, where he led teams focused on security and privacy. He published the Laws of Vulnerabilities and is one of the inventors of CVSS. Prior to joining Google, Gerhard held leadership roles at Sophos, Qualys, and McAfee. He grew up in Austria, where he has a PhD in computer science from University Linz. Gerhard is a passionate champion of new technologies and is a trusted advisor to a number of early stage startup companies, including Cobalt.io. I met Gerhard in October during our advisory event. Gerhard, welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you, Karen. It's great to be here today. Gerhard, I want to start by asking you about your childhood. I understand you were born in Austria. And I wonder if you would tell me, how would you describe yourself as a little boy? What was it like growing up? Oh, yes, I did. I did grow up in a, in a small uh, town uh, with a few thousand people uh, back in Austria. And as you probably know, when you, when you grow up in Austria, you grow up as an outdoors, outdoors person, really. Uh, you enjoy skiing and hiking and many other outdoor sports that are very popular there. But I did have an early interest in tech and, and my parents always have been uh, supportive of my interest in that area and so as a, as, a, as a young boy I had a lot of curiosity around technology and I started to take apart our TV and our radio and, and various other things and really to satisfy my my early curiosity in, in tech and then uh, probably about an age of 15 I started building my first computer it was in the early 80s I guess this was the time where the 6502 microprocessors became really popular compared to today's measures, very simple. Uh, but for that time, I guess, uh, with programming in assembly and three registers to keep in mind uh, was quite a fun task to do. And so really, that's how I got into computing in, in kind of early days and, and got excited about technology and, and computers in particular uh, in my early days. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You know, Gerhard, I'm curious, when you were putting together your first computer in the 80s, what was the purpose of doing that? Were you, for example, were you trying to play a game? Were you trying to, you know, do the system as, as, a, as a project in itself? Did you have a particular objective or were you simply kind of exploring putting things together? Yeah, it was really more a kind of an opportunity, I guess, to learn. And so I think computers at, at that time were very simple, very basic. Uh, so basic was the programming language of, of choice for many at that time. But I went uh, one level lower. I went into 
learning assembly and how to program uh, computers and microprocessors in, in assembly. And at that time, operating systems were also very basic. And especially when you're programming in assembly, you were using very low level capabilities to learn about computing, learn about how uh, microprocessors work. And that really was kind of the objective for me. And I developed a few uh, kind of simple projects, mostly control projects uh, with the 6502 microprocessor at the time. But it was really for me uh, primarily to learn. Very cool. And how did you find yourself interested in computer security? Well, I would love, I would love to tell you a story that this was all well planned for the past 25 years. Well, it was, it was not that way, of course. Uh, it was quite different. <laughs> uh, I did start um, as an electrical engineer, but quickly then realized uh, computer science really was my, my true calling. And you remember the 80s, there was the time of the personal computers really becoming super, uh, super popular. And it was also at the same time, kind of the birth of the first computer viruses. Uh, first computer viruses, of course, were mostly developed out of curiosity and really didn't have a malicious intent. But still, it was quite an interesting thing to uh, understand and to, to take apart and to learn. And your street cred uh, as an engineer uh, as a security engineer in particular uh, at that early time was really determined by your virus collection that you had to show. And so it was obviously a, a kind of curiosity at that time. I remember some of the early viruses, uh, I think it was Cascade maybe uh, in the early days where characters just fell from the screen from the top to bottom. And so people initially didn't quite understand what it was and, and was it actually something that was wrong with the computer uh, but it turned out to be one of the earlier computer viruses. And so really, computer viruses really caught my in enormous interest. And I saw a really big opportunity uh, because I saw that uh, viruses will not go away uh, by themselves. Uh, there has to be a really uh, effort being made to uh, tackle viruses. And so I started my first company uh, back in Austria. And remember, this, this was at a time where network speed was measured in kilobits per second. And if you had a <laughs> a 56K modem, you were already at a high-end, had a high-end model and were pretty sophisticated and well uh, taken care. So this first company really was kind of an opportunity for me to kind of apply some of the, the learnings I had in early days in, in computer science, in electrical engineering and in security, and really build a company around it uh, out, of, uh, out of my uh, work at the university as well. And then really uh, a couple of years later, the company was acquired uh, by McAfee, and gave me a real opportunity to, to uh, experience Silicon Valley in the 90s and, and kind of be part of the pioneering security uh, into the world. Cool. I have this fun mental image in my mind. You know, I think to myself, some people collect stamps. Uh, my four-year-old daughter likes to collect rocks. And Gerhard, you collect viruses. I can see you at this time in your life, you know, with a collection of viruses. I feel like we could make a cool, a cool comic book or a cool graphic about you. Um, so maybe, <laughs> <Yes, indeed. laughs> maybe I'll talk to the designer that I know. I think that's so interesting. So then, you know, you, of course, were leading security engineering at Google. That's kind of a big deal. What does that mean to you that you got to work for a place like Google? Uh, can you share with us what's it like to be in charge of security in such a large and highly complex environment? Yes, of course. Well, Google is is definitely 
an amazing company. Uh, in many ways, uh, I always think of it as, as like a university uh, where, where innovation and, and uh, invention, of course, is, is key and, and focused to success. And, and the security team was no different. Um, we, we had a continuous kind of emphasis and, and focus on, on really raising the bar uh, through technology and, and always looking for moonshots of how we can make security better and stronger and kind of be uh, a year or two ahead of what's needed there. In, in many ways, the security team really had only one job, and that job was to protect users' data. So th this sounds pretty simple. Uh, of course, we all know uh, it's not. And, and the team at the same time grew uh, rapidly. Uh, we grew to about a thousand engineers as a team, some of the best of the best. And, and I really, that is one of the things I enjoy mostly in Google is, is working with some really uh, kind of really brilliant uh, engineers and very smart people was, was fascinating. But our job was really to protect Google and Google's infrastructure. And you can think of it like, like a big chess game where you always have to look at how do you ahead, how are you ahead those two or three moves uh, that you need to be ahead of the attacker. And, and I think some of the projects that we, uh, we delivered during those past five years, I'm particularly excited about, for example, the, the security keys uh, which really help especially to protect Googlers from, uh, from phishing attacks through uh, the security key as a, as a second factor and not just rely on passwords anymore, which in my opinion is one of the uh, major issues that the industry is at large is facing today, that too many people are still relying uh, primarily on passwords. I see. You know, one of the things that you said was that Basically, to protect Google, you need 1,000 engineers, and, and, and this needs to be the best of the best. There was a lot of discussion about the human element in cybersecurity, and he, I hear you talking about 1,000 security engineers. You know, I picture like an army of security engineers, very smart, very innovative people, and then one of the projects that you're highlighting is actually intended to combat phishing which is like a social engineering thing. Um, and of course you are, you guys are using a very, a very um, smart uh, technology to solve that. Um, these days there seems to be a lot of discussion about the human element in cybersecurity. What does the human element mean to you? Well, I do think that security is clearly a, a very asymmetric challenge. As we all know, it takes one attacker to convince uh, any employee in an organization uh, to click on the wrong link. And so that's really one of the uh, big challenges that uh, organizations are facing today. And, and research has, has shown that uh, no matter how much training you do, no matter how much education you do, there's always one in 10 employees that clicks on the bait. Uh, it's just human nature and you're not gonna get below that number. Uh, so, and attackers know that. Uh, so it takes an attacker only to send you 100 malicious emails and you likely get 10 folks uh, clicking on that email uh, within the organization. So I think we really have to employ uh, technology here to help our employees, to help folks, uh, and to provide that uh, safety and security belt. Um, and so to me, that's why I'm so excited about the security keys and the two-factor authentication being a very effective way to help protecting employees and, and protecting the, the human element, so to say, and, and reducing that risk uh, from a human uh, perspective in computer security. So this is a really great example where technology can truly help and truly benefit 
uh, all of us uh, and provide a better and more secure environment. Cool. I am in total agreement. 2FA is the way to go. Speaking of technology change, of course, over your career and your lifetime, you've observed major changes in technology. And, and one of these is the shift to cloud computing. Uh, you've spent several years transforming traditional security technologies into SaaS models. From your perspective, what does, what does cloud computing mean for security and what does security mean to cloud computing? Yeah, great question, Carolyn. Uh, I, think, I think cloud computing is here to stay. And I also think at the same time, uh, we are just at the beginning of this journey of this transition. And, and I remember back when in the early days of Qualys, many folks had uh, some serious questions about, about security and cloud. And today, 20 years later, it's clear uh, that the economy of scale also applies to security. And you just can't do a little security uh, and it really becomes increasingly difficult for anybody to uh, secure an in-house system with limited resources, while on the other hand, uh, you have an economy of scale in a cloud and a cloud provider. However, what it really requires is a significant amount of transparency from the provider side in both in security and also privacy. So it's really critical that cloud providers are uh, fully transparent in terms of their security capabilities and privacy capabilities as well, so that customers uh, can make educated choices about uh, which workloads uh, to move into the cloud at what time. Because we all know in a cloud environment, almost every security problem comes down to an authentication problem. So again, uh, kind of closing the link to our uh, discussion before, uh, two-factor again is, is gonna be super critical uh, because all security problems in a, in a cloud environment become authentication problems. Hmm. I think that's so interesting the way that you put that. All security problems in the cloud become authentication problems. Um, and I also like the way that you've kind of presented this description of economies of scale and the advantage for cloud computing service provider to specialize in security in a way that, you know, an individual organization or company may not be able to do. And then, of course, there is this trade-off, I think, between, well, the traditional way is I did it myself. Maybe I didn't have that many resources to do it myself, and so I couldn't do it very well, but I, at least in theory, had total control over the situation. And now I'm giving away that control Granted, I'm giving that control away to someone who has the resources and the specialization to do it better than I can, uh, and so transparency becomes very important. I think that's, I think that's so interesting. Um, we've talked about a couple of things that it seems matters for the security industry today. Authentication, two-factor authentication, cloud computing, kinds of threats do you think are going to really matter for the information security industry next year in 2020 and beyond? And, and do you think that we as an industry are prepared to handle those threats? Yeah, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good question. I think, I think the industry as a, as a whole has, has progressed significantly. I mean, the security industry in particular has progressed uh, tremendously over those uh, 25 years that I've been 
uh, involved with. Uh, but also at the same time, uh, let's face it, uh, the attackers also have gained uh, sophistication. And, and in particular, uh, nation states are well-funded uh, and have no lack of resources. I think we will continue uh, over the years to come, continue to deal with ranges of new vulnerabilities, uh, both in operating systems and applications. I think there's going to be a new and more recent uh, emergence of hardware-based vulnerabilities. And I think we will see a lot more of those uh, in the years to come with all the challenges, of course, because it's a, it's a lot easier to fix a software bug, a software vulnerability than it is to fix a hardware vulnerability. But we will be seeing more and more of those. I think there's lots of folks, lots of eyes looking into uh, the hardware side at this point in time. And we will certainly see some of that in the years to come on um, in a growing in a growing uh, manner on a, on a more proactive side however and, and not to not to repeat the sins of the past i think it's really critical that we are starting to think about building security into this next generation of devices that are being designed built right now and i'm particular uh, thinking about here uh, kind of the next generation of of transportation uh, thinking of uh, of self-driving cars uh, trucks uh, and the like uh, we, we are talking here about human life being at risk uh, and security in those cases really needs to be designed right into those systems from the beginning on. And it's really critical that those organizations involved in taking a book from the security industry in the past where security has to be added on and rather getting ahead of it and building security right into. I think if that is uh, going to be one of the guiding principles, I think we'll be in much better shape in the years to come. I think that thinking about security for next generation transportation is extremely interesting. And I'm curious to know, Gerhard, what do you think will drive it? That's like a silly thing to say, right? Because we're talking about transportation. But, 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 but my question is serious, which is, where's the push going to come from? Do you think that it's going to come from law and regulation? Do you think it's going to come from the auto industry? Do you think it's going to come from the software industry? Um, do, you think, do you think it has to get kind of bad before something dramatic takes place? Or do you think that the companies that are exploring these next generation transportation technologies, do you think they're on top of it? Yeah, I think that laws and regulations will be uh, will be part of it, but I think will not be the answer. Uh, I think they certainly will be uh, helpful and, and will be guiding principles. But I think the push really has to come uh, from the industry. And, and in, in many ways, uh, I think it's, it's also a matter of fact that the industry actually gets together on some of those security standards. Uh, I think it would be very difficult uh, if uh, everybody individually develops their own security model, I think it would be really critical and important, as we have seen in other areas, other critical infrastructure areas where the industries uh, respectively got together, critical infrastructure like financial services and, and others, and developed their own kind of guiding principles and, and uh, mechanisms and tools. And I do, I do think a, a, a similar thing, I think, is going to be critical and required for the transportation uh, industry as well, uh, where those uh, organizations are uh, trying to be become leaders uh, in security, and I, I do have evidence of of some of the organizations uh, really pushing hard and trying hard uh, to be exactly uh, those working with others as well to develop those security requirements and security standards. Cool. 
Yeah, the, the last 30 years has been very interesting, and I think the next 30 years will be very interesting too. Gerhard, I have a couple of concluding questions for you. One of them is looking back, and one of them is looking forward. Uh, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself as a 16-year-old, you know, starting to build some of your first computers, learning about assembly language, what would you say to that young man? Well, I do think that uh, when, when I look back today, this is one of the areas that I'm particularly focused now these days. It's about really kind of educating the next generation on, on computer science and, and uh, computer security and get, get folks excited about there. And I, I think one of the uh, areas that I feel like is missing a little bit in education today is this education at the lowest level so to really understand computers at the lowest level and, and uh, it's uh, very few universities that really have uh, still offer uh, courses in assembly programming and, and low-level programming of computers to really deeply understand kind of uh, computers at the lowest level and, and I, I feel like I'm missing I'm missing that a little bit. Gerhard when we're talking about things like understanding computers at the lowest level are we really talking about electrical engineering and not, and not computer science, which actually is like where you started in your academic studies, uh, is, is my understanding. You know, what, is that, what does that look like? Should we be encouraging our computer science students to take a couple of EE classes? Yeah, I do think, I do think so. I think the boundaries are actually quite blurry between uh, electrical engineering and computer science. And, and in particular, uh, having uh, um, classes that are covering both, I think would be tremendously valuable and tremendously helpful for folks to understand the inner workings and the inner details of how uh, computers work at the lowest level, at, at the, the digital level, and also be allow them probably to be uh, more effective uh, programmers and especially be more effective security engineers, because very often some of the security issues that we're dealing with today are leading back to some of the the way how computers work in the internal details. Cool. You know, I find this to be personally very helpful. Uh, it is Thanksgiving week as we are recording this podcast. And so that means that Christmas is coming up. And I have a number of children in my life. I have a couple of young children myself. I have a number of nieces and nephews. And so I'm always thinking about what presents to get for these kids for Christmas. And so I'm looking at all these presents and I'm thinking, do I get them robot kits? Do I get them circuit kits? Do I get them coding kits? Uh, and now I'm a little bit inspired to focus a bit on those circuit kits. So this has been directly applicable uh, to my personal life, for which I thank you. Or you may also consider, Carolyn, uh, giving this uh, holiday season uh, security keys. Oh, very nice. <laughs> I like that a lot. I'm writing that down and I'm circling it many times. Security keys for everyone on my exactly, Christmas Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Gerhard, what's next for you? Um, we were just chatting. You just uh, finished a trip to Cuba, uh, which I understand was more of like a pleasure trip than a business trip, if I understand that correctly. But, but what's next for you? What are, what are you thinking about next? Yes, uh, well, uh, we, we did uh, visit Cuba as part of a beekeeper's mission, and it was quite fascinating. I'm a passionate beekeeper as well, and uh, so this was really a, a fascinating experience to learn and teach as well uh, Cuban beekeepers. Um, and on the technology side, um, I think personally, I feel like 
our industry is is challenged uh, with a tremendous shortage of talent. Um, I, I do think we are uh, we are short by by thousands of uh, of security engineers, and so my my goal and my objective is to really inspire the next generation to to get excited about computer security and uh, uh, think uh, computer security is one of the coolest spaces to work in. And I had some great mentors uh, myself during my career, and I want to use the the time now also to give back to uh, support founders, uh, support security leaders, and also be on boards uh, to help companies build products, build technology, and uh, make the, the world a better place and a safer place to be. Fantastic. Gerhard, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today on Humans of InfoSec. I think, uh, you know, I can speak on behalf of our listeners when I say it's, it's wonderful to hear about your story uh, told by you uh, and also to hear about some of the things that you're thinking about. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Carolyn. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt.io, a pen testing as a service company. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you enjoy podcasts. And don't forget to say hello. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.